This is episode 319 with 359 miler turned ultra marathon runner, a member of the Nike trail team and winner of this year's Gorge Waterfalls 50K, Matt Daniels. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the entire process of improvement, because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll become a much better runner. If you're new here, welcome. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine. On this podcast, I share my insights on the sport and speak with the world's smartest subject matter experts to help you improve. I'm happy to connect anytime, so feel free to email me or you can send me a message on Instagram or YouTube. Now I'd like to thank our partners who support the show. They're offering you some great discounts to take your health and performance to the next level. First is Prevenex, the only supplement company I trust because they're voluntarily putting themselves under more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards, like increased testing, quality control, and even donations of vitamins to kids in need. You're going to love their Joint Health Plus product because it actually works. It reduces joint pain and improves how you feel, with clinical double-blinded studies to prove it. And while the science backs up their products, just listen to Brenda, who wrote, quote, I have tried many things to help my joint pain in my knees. Glucosamine, collagen, turmeric, tart cherry, nothing was working. One month in a Prevenex combined with physical therapy, and I was able to run for the first time in two years. And my knee was not all swollen and painful afterwards. Goodbye, orthopedic surgeon. Hello, Prevenex. I love it. Try it now at Prevenex.com and use code Jason15 for 15% off your purchase. We're also supported by Impossible Sleep, a performance sleep drink to help high performers get the most out of their nightly rest. Impossible Sleep is a melatonin-free sleep drink mix that provides deep recovery while gently lulling you to sleep. And that's actually a big reason why I love it. Melatonin can make you groggy, so I prefer to skip it whenever possible. There are only two ingredients in Impossible Sleep, making it simple but effective for anybody who struggles to optimize their best recovery tool, sleep. Learn more about it at impossible.co slash Jason. And be sure to use code Jason20 to save 20% on your first subscription order. Plus, you'll get a free sleep kit as a welcome gift. That's impossible.co slash Jason with code Jason20. My guest today is Matt Daniels. I had the pleasure of meeting Matt at a dinner party earlier this year, and I caught up with him at last month's Mile High Mile track meet in Boulder, Colorado. Matt ran for Adams State University and placed seventh in the NCAA 1500 meters, contributing to Adams State's first ever first place team finish in the outdoor NCAA championships. Matt is now a professional athlete for Nike trail running, and his focus is now on ultra marathon distances. He won the Gorge Waterfalls 50K earlier this year, competed at UTMB this past summer, and is regularly getting in 100-plus mile weeks in the trails around Colorado. In this conversation, we chat about the magic of the mile, how he transitioned to ultra distances after being a sub-four miler, 
what his current training looks like, how he structures and paces 150-mile weeks, and life lessons from his college track coach. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Daniels. And we're live. Matt, thanks for doing this. Yeah, good to see you, Jason. Yeah, it was it was fun seeing you uh, about a month ago at the Mile High Mile. This was a, a track meet for our listeners that only ran mile races. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, Matt, but that just got me so fired up for middle distance racing and the track. I, I think I lost my voice yelling so much that night. Yeah, man, it got the juices flowing for sure. I, uh, man, I, I like missed the mile. I was out there watching all the events and was just like thinking back how I wish there was uh, events like that back when I was, I was running the mile and uh, it was cool. It was cool to see them all, you know, get so close to that four minute barrier at altitude. And yeah, I was, I was pumped. Yeah. Well, you tweeted out, I don't know, a couple months ago that, you know, I remember back when I thought of myself as a miler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, when was that? Oh man, probably I'd go back probably maybe as far back to probably 2015 was, uh, yeah, right around 2015 is when I started making the jump up to the longer distances. And, um, I still had a little bit of that leg speed and could, you know, any day get out on the track and, you know, click off something close to a four minute mile, you know, back in the day. But, um, yeah, once I got into marathoning and ultra marathoning, especially, I kind of lost some of that speed and, uh, I don't really consider myself as a miler anymore as much as I wish I was, you know, it's a, it's a fun event, really exciting, packed into a short period of time. And, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say probably 2015 is the last time I considered myself a miler. Okay. So, so this is a little more frequent than, or a little more recent than, than I was envisioning. I was kind of expecting you to say like high school or, or when you were in college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I ran it, um, mostly in college and then a, a little bit post collegiately. I, um, I dabbled in, into some of the longer races on the track and then, uh, kind of came out of retirement from that and jumped into a, a mile race in Texas. Um, yeah, I guess it was probably 20, actually may have been 2016 even. Um, but yeah, did a mile there and ran like 401, 402. That was the last track race I did and, um, sure to miss it. <laughs> now, did you ever get under the, the four minute barrier there? I did. Yep. I ran, um, 359 for the full mile, um, indoors, um, at the Dempsey center in Washington. I did that in, I believe it was 2014. Um, and then I've run the equivalent of under four minutes, you know, uh, for 1500 meters, but, um, a few times, but yeah, officially once. And then on the road, I, I did a road mile here in superior. I think I ran 356 for that, but you know, it got a little bit of downhill. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. But at altitude, so maybe sure. it's similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it evens out. Well, that's awesome. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, those of us who are about this age, I think you're just a couple years younger than me. You know, um, I think everyone who grew up in the shadow of Alan Webb thought of themselves as a miler at one point. You know, I even think my AOL instant messenger screen name had 1609 in it because that's how many meters are in a mile. And I'm just a huge nerd. So <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Um, when you were at Adam State, Matt, were you still focusing on the mile at that time too? I was, yeah. There was um, obviously a big emphasis on cross country at Adam State. Um, but yeah, you know, once indoors hit, it was all focused on the mile. And then, um, of course, dabbling in the 3K, 5K. I never did a 10K on the track in college. But um, really, my my role, I felt, in college was to score as many points as I could for the team, you know, so we could grab a national championship. And um, what that looked like was me running the mile, uh, running the DMR, running the 3k, running the 5k, dropping down to the 800 every now and then sometimes jumping on a four by four. But, uh, you know, 
when you kind of combine all those distances, what's right in the middle is the mile. And that was kind of my sweet spot. So I, I considered myself a miler in college and that was my main focus. Yeah. You know, when I think back to my college years and like running indoor track, uh, the event that scares me the most was always the 3000 just because it's, it was like so fast in, in a way that was just different than other events in my mind, because it was like, you know, this isn't quite two miles. So run close to your mile PR and then just hang on for dear life. And it was just like this insane experience where there was absolutely no, you know, no time for any amount of settling. Whereas like maybe in a 5k, you can get into a little bit of a rhythm and click off some laps without thinking too hard. But the 3k, there was no time for that. It was so intense, but it was also long enough just to be scary. I don't know if you had any similar thoughts about the 3k. Yeah, it was my least favorite event, actually, to be honest. <laughs> um, it was, it, and I, I can kind of um, relate to that in ultra running too with the 50 miler, um, which is a whole nother thing. But yeah, it was just fast enough and just long enough where it was, you were just so uncomfortable for, you know, for the majority of it. And um, a 5k, yeah, like you said, you feel like you can kind of settle in for a minute and then, then you could get to go in the miles you know, you break it down four laps, you feel the finish line the whole time, but God, the three K was uncomfortable. And, um, and there's so many similarities. Yeah. With, with the 50 miler, um, in ultra running, I'm, I'm getting ready to run one here in November. And, um, it's funny because 50 K feels like a breeze. You can kind of feel the finish line in, in ultra terms. Right. And then, then you have the hundred K hundred miler where you get to settle in a little bit and then you can kind of start to, to do your thing. And then that 50 miler is that sweet spot where you just feel like you're kind of on the gas the whole time. And, uh, yeah, it's super uncomfortable and, and I'm always reminded of, of the 3k when I'm doing it. It's not the 3k was something I, I never quite nailed in college too. So, um, and the 50 miler hasn't been a distance I've really nailed in, in ultra. So, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting looking back on that and, and thinking about the future with the 50 miler as well. Matt, I've been doing this for a long time and you might've been the first person to ever equate a 50 miler with a 3000 meter track race. <laughs> <laughs> They are so different. They are different, but there are similarities when you're breaking down, um, you know, the distances that you're running and stuff. So, and, and a lot of that comes to the, the um, mental part of, of vultures too, and that sort of thing too. But yeah, I always try and relate to past experiences um, with new things that I'm doing. And uh, for me, it just makes sense to, <laughs> to uh, think of the 50 miler in terms of how the three K's run on the track a lot longer, but similar. <laughs> It is really interesting because there are these like in between distances that require you to sort of like run it quickly, like a race that's shorter, but it's just not. And I think that's the big similarity is like, you know, the middle distance event for that is like the 3k, the ultra distance is like the 50 miler. I wonder what the event is for like the shorter distance specialist. If it's like the 600 you know, I never raced a 600. I never got down that low. I probably capped it at 400, 800. Uh, but, but what do you think? Do you ever race a 600? Cause that to me just seems like a 400 that's just longer. Yeah, I never did, but I've talked to a few, um, uh, friends of mine who, who were specialists in the 800 and, and, um, it's funny if you're an 800 runner, you tend to be the, the kind of guy that can bump up and do a fast mile, or you can bump down and do a fast 400. You're, you're kind of one or the other. I was the, t the 800 guy that could always bump up and do a fast mile. Uh, I could run a fast 400, but not compared to like, you know, somebody like Boris Berrien who 142, 800 guy, 143, 800 guy. And, um, he could go down and do a 400, like nobody's business. I don't know what 40, 
probably ran like 45 seconds or something. And um, anyways, talking to those guys, um, it seemed the, the guys that could bump down and do a fast 400 transitioned better to that 600 distance indoors. Um, I think he even may have like gotten close to the American record doing that one year. But uh, the milers that are or the 800 guys that are also milers really struggle with going down in distance like that. And I think um, there's some sort of physiological change right there in that that time period, that sweet spot of like, you know, in, in between three and four minutes of running or two, two to four minutes of running is uh, really difficult. Yeah. And I think it's almost like it's so similar to these other races that we're talking about. It's like the 600 is short enough, I think, to be really considered a sprint event. Whereas like the 3K is now long enough to be considered a middle distance event. And then the 50 mile race is is just long enough to be definitely a long ultra, but it's short enough to be done kind of quickly. And oh man, I, I, I just think these in-between races, this concept is really interesting because... uh it makes these types of races so much more difficult to, to, to compete in and to do so very well. Uh, and I just think you're such an interesting runner because you've had this career where you've done it all, you know, you've done the, the middle distance races. I mean, you're, you're a 359 miler on an indoor track, which could probably converts to maybe a 358. Um, and, and you've run all the way up to a hundred mile or hundred miles. So, you know, when you look back on all this, do you have a favorite event? I mean, I know you used to think of yourself as a miler. Is it still the mile? Do you still hold it in this romantic place in your brain? I do. Yeah. I think once a miler, always a miler kind of like, you know, you always consider yourself a miler. Um, that was definitely my favorite event. I, it's just, there's some sort of like love affair with the mile, especially in the US, you know, everywhere else they use the metric system and, and everybody runs the 1500. But in the US, we, we have an indoor season where you run the mile and um, a big thing for so long now, you know, it's not so much the case, but for so long, it was like, how many guys can go under four minutes? And that was uh, such a cool thing to chase uh, in my running career. And um, and so, yeah, while I really enjoy distances like the 50K um, and uh, 100K is another distance I really enjoy, it's just so different and doesn't quite uh, spark the same sort of enthusiasm out of me that, that the mile has and does. And you know, I'm not going to get as excited to watch a fast 50k on, you know, um, live stream 50k as I am watching a diamond league mile race. I, I just, you know, you'll never take that out of me. And so, yeah, I definitely say the mile is still my, my all time favorite event. And, um, yeah, something I'll always follow even, you know, when the running days are over. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's something about it. I mean, they're, they're just so fast and exciting and, and the, the tactics are interesting and you can see the whole race when you're watching it on the track. Uh, you know, you said you've lost some foot speed now that you're running all these ultras. If we dragged your butt onto a track these days, what, <laughs> what kind of time you think you might be able to do in a mile? Oh, God. This is always a fun exercise, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, we, my buddy Adam and I were just talking about this the other day. I think um, you give me two months, I could probably, two months of speed work, I could probably get, especially with the new super shoes, maybe could get around, you know, sub 410, maybe maybe, uh, not at altitude, but at sea level. Um, I think right now, just right in the middle of ultra training, um, give me some super spikes and maybe I could go under four fifteen. I don't know. It, it's tough to say. I haven't really, um, got the wheels turning like that in so long. And it's just a totally different, uh, you know, system you're working there. And so I'd have to at least have like a few weeks of just like getting on the track and, and feeling that like running through a brick wall type type feeling again before I, uh, attempted a mile. <laughs> Yeah, you probably couldn't put a fast one together when you're just knee deep in in ultra marathon training. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about what your training looks like right now. It probably looks so much different than it did when you were a college miler running 359. Give us this broad overview. You know, like, are, are you running how many times per week? What, could, what do your workouts look like? What's your volume look like? And, and also just like what you're training for. Sure. Yeah, it um, it changes a lot. So trail running is a, you know, there's a wide variety of different types of races. And um, like I said, I'm training for currently um, training for a race in November that's fairly flat in the ultra world um, and fast. And it's it's only 50 miles where uh, I just got off of a training block in a, in a big race that was a um, 107 mile race in the Alps. And so that required a completely different skill set. And so um, over the summer in the past, probably four or five months, my training looked like, you know, anywhere from um, 90 to 150 miles a week, depending on the week. I know it's a wide range, but um, I was more um, focused on hours spent in the mountains and time on feet and vert- vertical gain. So I was getting in anywhere from like 25,000 to 40,000 feet a week um, in vertical gain, all on, you know, steep trails, a lot of high altitude running, got the poles out, a lot of practice with hiking, the pack, stuff that um, you wouldn't really think about when you think about, you know, running a race, but you know, these are the things that happen when you, you get fatigued at mile 80, you know, you're having to hike rather than run. And so, um, I was doing a lot of that kind of stuff, probably spending anywhere from 20 to 30 hours a week, um, on feet running, um, running slash hiking. And then, uh, yeah. So for the race coming up, I train a little bit more like I did in, in college, not, not quite the same, but, uh, more running focused. I'll spend more time out at the, the Boulder Reservoir on the dirt roads, um, clicking off some faster splits and uh, usually doing a harder workout once or twice a week. Um, maybe I'll dip into threshold a few more times and uh, when I'm training for something that's uh, almost 100% aerobic, you know. And so, um, yeah, I, I would say it's a mixture of kind of like a little bit of marathon training, but kind of sticking to the ultra basis just because, you know, I'll still be out there for five hours, um, you know, on a good day. It'll be right around five, five hours to five and a half hours. So, um, it's a little bit different than the race I just did, which is, you know, you're spending over 20 hours in the mountains. So, um, yeah, a lot of it's race dependent, but, uh, at, at the moment, hundred to 120 miles a week. Um, so looking at probably, I don't know, I'll probably get up to close to 20 hours a week running. And then, um, a lot of that, yeah, some, some faster paced stuff. Yeah. I, I think everyone's brain broke when they heard 150 miles a week, that's more than 20 miles per day. So let's break that down a little bit. I mean, how do you go about just logistically running 150 miles a week? You're obviously running twice a day, most days, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's a luxury I have, um, is I'm, I'm a professional runner. And so I have the time in the day to do it. Um, I have time to recover and that's, that's the important part. You know, a lot of people hear those numbers and no way, you know, I have a nine to five job. I have a family, like I just had two dogs and a wife who's really supportive and a goal of running really fast in the mountains. And so I get to, um, you know, spend the time recovering. So yeah, I'll go out in the morning for usually my longer run. Um, and when I was training for that race and doing 150 miles a week specifically, it would be, uh, anywhere from four to seven hours, uh, for that run. And, um, again, a lot of it would be hiking cause I'm, I'm getting a lot of vertical gain in. So, um, it'd be kind of a lot slower and then, uh, recover all afternoon, maybe go to the gym and do my strength session. Um, and then yeah, get back out in the evening sometimes for, for a double. And sometimes I would just do a single where it's just like maybe a six or seven hour run. Um, but yeah, a lot of times I'd split it up. So I'd do anywhere from like two to five hours and then maybe another hour or two in the evening. 
Is the evening run maybe a little bit less specific to what you might be doing in the mountains, working with poles, maybe doing a, some type of faster training session? Seems like the the afternoon shorter run is for the most part just kind of like an easy recovery run from what you did in the morning. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. You know, there's there's blocks in training where um, I, I get pretty specific and I do back to back long runs in the same day or multiple days in a row, um, just to kind of mimic being out for a long time, practice fueling, that sort of thing. So there was definitely days in the, in the training where I did, um, like a pretty hard three hour mountain run in the morning and then came back and did another hard three hour mountain run in the evening, um, or a workout, you know, two workouts in the same day. And then I would spend a few days recovering. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it would be, uh, yeah, a harder, longer session in the morning. And then, um, something, more chill in the afternoon, flatter surface, just, um, kind of what we like to call shaking the legs out, you know, and just building, um, capillaries and, um, getting, stimulating some blood flow and just, um, extra time on feet, low end aerobic fitness build. I mean, it's, uh, all that just goes into, um, building this huge foundation in this base. That's going to be very important when you get to mile, like, you know, 90 of a hundred mile race. And, uh, those last 10 miles seem like they're going to go on forever, but you kind of have that, that extra aerobic, um, foundation, there to work with. So, um, yeah, a lot of it's just finding, you know, a lot of my, um, teammates and people I run with sometimes will spend that time on a bike. Um, I don't like, I'm not a very good cyclist, so I don't like being on a bike, but a lot of the, a lot of people will spend it on a bike or swimming or doing some sort of cross training. Um, I have found I can stay healthy if I just go way slower than my normal pace, but I can get out there and kind of stay in that, like what you would call zone one or lower type of training where I'm just like, I mean, there's runs where I don't even get my heart rate above 110 beats a minute, um, but I'm just out there between like, you know, 90 and 110 beats a minute shuffling or all, along. And, uh, some days that looks like 12 minute miles. And some days that looks like eight minute miles. You know, it just kind of depends on where you're at in the training block and how you're feeling and how the body's responding. You know, I, I think there's two big lessons from this. I mean, number one, I think if you want to be a good distance runner, a, a high volume training program is probably, you know, uh, in, just uh, something that you can't get away from too much in your training. And that doesn't necessarily have to be all running. Like you said, I mean, you have some elite level friends who are doing a lot of cross training, probably because they just can't handle just the extra volume of running. So they're, they're making do with cycling or, or some other form of cross training. Uh, and the other thing is, if you are going to run really high mileage, a lot of it has to be really, really slow. And, you know, I had a conversation on the podcast uh, last year with Matt Meyer, another Boulder resident who runs a lot himself. And we were talking about how he put together a 140 mile week. And he just said he talked a lot about how his evening runs were what he would call, quote, dog shit pace. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And because he's literally out there just jogging almost as slow as he can go, because the goal is simply to run but the pace doesn't really matter. Like you said, even zone one running where your heart rate might be 110 beats per minute, you're going almost as slow as your body is going to allow you to run. There's still value in that. And, and I think there's a lot of runners who might think that there's not too much value in that really slow running. You know, once they're a minute or two slower than their marathon pace, then all of a sudden, you know, this kind of pacing just doesn't really do much for them. Can you maybe dispel that myth with either what you know about yourself or the training process? Because you're obviously using that strategy to very good uh, result here. So I'll 
preface this with what um, I kind of went through when I first started getting into running and learning about physiology and stuff. Uh, when I was, I, I must have been a freshman in high school. Um, I got to meet Arthur Lydiard. And um, for those who don't know, Arthur Lydiard's kind of the the founder of, of jogging and running and uh, one of the biggest names in um, running history in terms of like bringing running to what it is and competitive running to what it is. Uh, amazing coach out of New Zealand. And I got to meet him right before he passed away. And um, I remember him writing down on a little uh, napkin for me uh, what he thought I could do mileage wise at my age. I think I was 14 at the time uh, to achieve the goals I wanted to achieve by the time I hit 12th grade. And I was looking at the numbers and <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I, you know, I was doing 40 or 50 miles a week and he had these numbers down that were like 100, 120, 130. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, nobody's doing that. This is in the early 2000s. And he goes, you may be able to hit these numbers, um, you know, and you may not. But the point of this is, is you need to run as much as your body can handle. And that's going to give you like the greatest foundation and ability to um, excel later on. And so I took it to heart and he explained to me the whole thing about, you know, laying down an aerobic foundation and a base and um, a lot of that just easy you know, before we started having zones, you know, zone one, zone two type training, it was just running easy and, and, uh, working your cardiovascular system, that low end work on that your heart's doing and pumping blood, you become more efficient. And so the more that you have the, the greater, um, yeah, base you have and foundation you have, and you can work with that when you start to get into the speed work or the threshold running and that sort of thing. So anytime I'm out for a jog or even sometimes I'll just go hike with the dogs and I'm thinking like, okay, well, I'm not sedentary right now. My heart rate's somewhere 70, 80 beats a minute, maybe a little higher, depending on the terrain I'm, I'm hiking. All that goes into helping me for when I, I do start doing big workouts and that sort of things, because I have more to work with now. Um, and so it's like just adding in extra ingredients, you know, a little bit of extra salt to bring out the taste sort of thing. And so I'm always, um, I'm always thinking of that when I, when I can, and I'm feeling healthy and, and not super tired or, you know, Another thing, I have to be fueling well when I'm doing this. I have to be eating a lot. And if I'm feeling good, then I'm going to get out for that extra extra volume. And um, and that's going to show up on days when I have a big workout. And, um, you know, I'm getting towards the end of the workout. And my body's fatigued, but I can get out that extra rep because I have that extra foundation to work with and, and aerobic um, capacity to work with. And um, that always that always transfers into fitness later and uh, race performances later. And so, um, yeah, you have to think, too, in terms, you know, when you're doing these hard workouts, you're actually detraining the body in that moment. And then it's when you recover and run easy on the following days that you're absorbing all that fitness you gained. And so you have to think of it in, in those sort of terms rather than thinking every run you go out and do has to be the sole purpose of getting faster. That's, you know, that's not necessarily the case. You're building from the ground up every single day. Yeah, it's sort of like you're making an investment in future, Matt. Yeah. And, and all that easy effort is, is the investment in your future performances. And so, yeah, I mean, guys, if the 359 miler says we can run slow, I think we can run slow, right? <laughs> That's definitely going to be beneficial for us. Um, and I think too, like, you know, just hearing your, your background as a middle distance runner, racing everything from 400 meters, 800 meters, specializing in the mile. Now you're this 50 mile up to a hundred plus mile runner. I'm curious about the transition. I'm curious how you decided in around 2015, 2016 to say, 
you know, my, my passion might be the mile, but I'm going to go run a hundred miles at high altitude on trails. And this is going to take me like 20 hours. What, what was going on in your brain, Matt? Because that, that is a funny transition right there to me. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I guess, you know, since, since I started running, I've always kind of, I've wanted to be that runner that has, um, has depth and has the ability to, to run something fast in the 400 and then run a fast 10k. And I always wanted to be that guy in college that could do all the events and have success and run at a very high level and all, all those events. And, um, I knew that I didn't want that to change. Uh, and so when I, um, finished running post or finished running in college and, and went post-collegiate, uh, I started running semi-professionally for a group here in Boulder called Hudson Elite. And, um, I went in thinking I was a miler and Brad Hudson's an ama- amazing marathon coach. And he immediately, I didn't know it, realized it at the time, but he immediately had me doing, you know, half marathon, marathon type workouts and, and seeing, you know, where I was at in terms of, um, my ability to go longer and, and faster. Cause he knew I had done well in cross country at 10 K and stuff in college. And so, um, he had me go out and do a half marathon in San Jose with some of my teammates. And I qualified for the marathon Olympic trials there. I ran, I think 63 minutes for half marathon. And, um, that was the longest race I'd ever done in my life. And I had no desire to run a marathon. I remember a year before that telling my coach in college, I, I didn't want to be a marathoner. I wanted to be a miler. And, um, but when you qualify for the Olympic trials, you start getting excited and you think like, okay, maybe I'm a marathoner. And so Long story short, I went out and did the marathon trials in 2016, and um, I uh, it was it was a disaster. Just had a really bad day. I I overtrained, got really excited. Um, I probably left my marathon uh, in a workout two weeks before. I did a 40k tempo run and ran two hours and 12 minutes for that, (laughs) right before two weeks before the marathon. And so I think uh, I was in really good shape, but you know, stupid training. And so um, I was burned out and pretty down on myself and. after that, and that was in February 2016. And then uh, a friend of mine here in Boulder convinced me to do the USA mountain running champs, um, which is a trail race. And I'd only done like one trail race for fun. It was a little 10K in Vail um, with some friends and before that. And so he convinced me to do that. And, and I did it and made my first world team. Uh, so all of a sudden I was a, a trail runner. And, you know, that was a short, short race. It was only 10K. But um, what happens when you get in the trail world, especially in the U.S., you get suckered into doing ultras. <laughs> and so um, I think uh, 2017 rolls around and um, I just uh, made my third world or I guess second world team at that time uh, for mountain running. And at this point, it was the longer mountain running chances than the, the marathon distance. Um, and training went really well. And I used that fitness to do my first 50K out in Oregon and um, had tremendous success in that 50K. And then uh, the rest was history. I just, you know, decided to keep going longer and experiencing, um, more of the races. And, um, the thing with trail running is everybody wants to run Western States. And so, um, once I found out about that race and the prestige around that and, um, what that race was all about, I wanted to try and qualify for that. And so from 50 K I went straight to, um, the hundred K distance and, um, had success in that and then ran my first hundred milers. And here we are, you know, just, um, staying at it. I love it. This sort of reminds me of like how I got into running because I didn't really like running. And then, you know, you, you you do it a little bit and you're like, oh, I'm not actually half bad at this. And, you know, I, I had to give up my dreams of being a basketball player because I was clearly a better runner. Plus, everyone else kept growing after, you know, middle school and, and I did not really. So it was just going to mean being a basketball player was difficult for me. 
So yeah, it, very similar story and how I just was like, oh, I'm having a little bit of success here. I guess let me explore this. And good Lord, you look around and you're like, look at me now 25 years later and what, is, what a story it's been. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your, your college coach. You know, you, you know, you said previously that you've learned so much from your college coach, Damon Martin. And uh, I just had my college coach on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. So I just think I'm feeling a little sense of nostalgia and respect for the people in our lives that help nurture our love for the sport. But, you know, what are some of the most impactful uh, lessons, uh, either about life or running, that you might have picked up from your coach? Because I know how transformative a really good coach can be. And I get that sense that you really respect your college coach. Yeah. I mean, I learned, oh God, so much from, from the guy. I mean, we, we would be here all day if, uh, if I said everything I want to about him. Um, I think what was really special was, uh, he took a chance on me at a time in my life where I was coming from, um, I just got out of the Navy and the military and coming, uh, from some pretty, low points in my life and, um, wasn't running at all. And, uh, wasn't planning on getting back into running or anything like that. And he, um, just kind of gave me an opportunity to, to get back into school and to come run for him and, um, asked me to give him a chance to work with me. And so, um, I think the first thing I learned right off the bat was, you know, give people a chance and, um, believe in them no matter what, what they've been through or where they're at in life, just believe in them and incredible things can happen. Um, when I got on campus at Adam State, uh, this is 2011, I was still smoking cigarettes. I was, you know, in the military, so I picked up smoking. I was smoking. I had issues with drinking, couldn't stop drinking. I was depressed, um, struggling with PTSD. And this guy just wrote workouts for me, called me in his office every other day, and we sat down and just talked. It wasn't about anything in particular, but he was, you know, he was there for me. Um, you know, I coming to Colorado was quite different than where I grew up in Texas. And so it was nice to have that, um, you know, father figure in my life, even though, you know, being away from home and being out of the military. And so, um, yeah, it's, you know, just, uh, gave me a chance, really worked with me and believed in me. And, um, it helped me run really well. I think another really important thing was he taught me how to kind of, um, believe in something bigger than just myself. You know, we had a really, uh, strong team in college and we were a really close team and uh not necessarily the most talented team most years i mean we had a good team don't get me wrong and we were all really really fast runners but uh there were some years there was teams that that definitely should have you know beaten us at nationals or um you know sometimes we go run against some of the top d1 guys in the country and um he had a way of getting all of us to just believe that we could do anything we could run through a brick wall you know we were you know grown respectable men that and women that could, um, you know, just do things we wouldn't even dream of doing. And so, um, having that, yeah, it, it all comes down to belief. And I think I, I carried that with me, um, into the rest of my running career and hopefully, you know, um, uh, everything else I do in life, I, I always kind of draw inspiration from, from those four years at Adam state. Yeah. You know, I, that really resonates with me because I think one of the most impactful things a coach can do for you is just to tell you that they believe in your ability to do something and then giving you the guidance and the structure and just the environment in which to do it. And especially at the college age, I don't know, there, there is something really special about that time period for, uh, I'll, I'll say young men, cause I don't have the experience of being a younger woman, but, uh, 
yeah, just having like that father figure to say like, I'm going to hold you to a high standard, but you can do it. And I'm going to help you practically every day do it. There is something really, really transformative about being in that environment because all of a sudden you're doing things that you never thought possible. And, you know, I, I probably had a similar experience to you, just the growth you experienced from freshman year to senior year in college when you try to apply yourself in that environment is just, is just stunning in my view. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very special time for sure. And it's cool too, because, you know, the college is one of the only things where you can go in uh, to a situation with a group of guys um, in, you know, in 2011 and in 2015, it's that same group of guys and you're all leaving and you're all totally different. Um, And you, then you all go and do your thing in the world and you may never see each other again until you have a little reunion or something. And, um, it was really cool to see, like, we had a reunion, uh, I guess it's been about two years ago back in Alamosa and just seeing all those guys again. Um, and it was like, nothing had, you know, nothing had changed. We were all right back in Alamosa, um, talking about running and, and, and everything else we were doing in life, but it all, we all kind of agreed that, um, we wouldn't be where we were without those, those four years together at Adams. And, um, it's, it's, it's interesting cause it's not something that's talked about a lot, um, and I don't know how many college programs have, you know, where people have that full experience. But uh, that was one cool thing about being at Adams was uh, we had a core group of guys and, and, a, and a great coach that believed in us. And um, yeah, it's something I think we, we all kind of will carry with us the rest of our lives. Yeah. In 2016, I went back to Connecticut. I ran for a D3 school at Connecticut College and uh, my coach retired and he had this big retirement party. And there was just all these guys that came back for it that I went to school with that were a little younger than me. They were a little older than me. And you're absolutely right. Just that experience, I think, is one of the most most growth-oriented that you can really go through. And so if, if anyone's listening who's thinking about running in college uh, or has a child who's thinking about running in college, uh, I, I cannot be a stronger supporter of that idea. You know, try to find a great school where they can focus on being a student first, but, you know, have that ability to be an athlete on a cross country or track team. And, and like you said, it's, it's funny, you carry it through you with you for the rest of your life, even if you don't even continue competing after college. And I wonder like, what are you actually carrying with you? Is it discipline? Is it a certain mindset? Is it just this growth uh, mindset that you have that if I work hard enough at this and I'm consistent at it, I'm going to be able to accomplish it. And I think that's probably something I took from the whole experience myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of things I think, um, probably, you know, all, all the way down to the point of, of how, um, I interact with, with my wife and relationship I have with my wife and, um, having belief in her and, and her goals and, and things she wants to do. And, you know, I always am, am drawn back to um, how my coach treated each one of us individually as, as well as a group, but individually too. And, and um, I remember how that made me feel. And a lot of times it's, uh, it helps me be able to, um, you know, I'm, I'm a coach as well, I guess. Um, so this is where this kind of goes, goes in. I coach a few athletes online. And so it really helps me be able to help them motivate, stay motivated, um, see things through a different lens sometimes. And um, yeah, so I don't know, I carry it you know, all sorts of things in life, but I'd say, you know, relationship, uh, coaching other athletes, I think, um, sometimes, you know, even just like little things like when, when, when my wife and I go travel on vacation, one thing our coach at Adam State always did was 
he made sure to take us somewhere educational. Uh, so we could be at a track meet in Birmingham, Alabama, and we, we, he would take us to some obscure museum somewhere and we learned something new or we ran a track meet in South Dakota and we took a detour and saw Mount Rushmore, you know, things like that. And so, uh, now when my wife and I go on trips, I'm always like looking for things to learn about, you know, just these new little things. And, and that brings a lot into your life overall. Um, when, you know, just those little things that you don't really think about in the moment, but, um, when you look back, it's like, wow, like what a cool experience. Yeah. It's often not even about the running, is it? It's about how you live your life, how you interact with others, you know, one of the things that I took away from my college coach is just, you know, this, this ability to be accepting of, of people. He was really good at that. You know, he kind of met you where you were. Uh, and on the one hand was, was a bit of an old school kind of guy, but I think balance that, that old school mentality with this, you know, wonderful acceptance and tolerance of everyone that I, I think is, is just really tremendous. So yeah, when I look back on my career too, it's like I don't remember the workouts or the the some of the training things that we did. I mean, of course, I think about that all the time too, but uh, it, it's more the the intangibles. And uh, before this turns into a, a, a commercial for running in college, <laughs> let's just say that it's a wonderful experience, and everyone should definitely try to do it uh, if they have that opportunity. Uh, now, Matt, I want to switch gears a little bit and just ask you about uh, some of your favorite local races because, you know, I think there's a lot of many more ultra curious people these days. I think trail running is exploding. I think more and more people are getting into ultra running. Uh, and, and even if you don't really have any interest in ultra running, you know, you said something earlier. You said, I just really wanted to be a, a very well rounded runner. You know, you wanted to be able to run all kinds of events and be good at those events. And and I think even if someone doesn't want to run an ultra, just thinking about the training necessary, thinking about the grand adventure it may be is, is a very big growth opportunity for all of us. So, you know, if someone's thinking about running an ultra, they're a little ultra curious. Are there any like really good 50 Ks that might be accessible to, to a runner who, who maybe has done a marathon, uh, and is thinking about getting into a good trail race, but maybe one that doesn't have like 20,000 feet of elevation gain. Do you have any favorites? Oh gosh, there's a lot. Um, some of my favorite ones are, uh, well, so what's cool about the ultra world and what's happening with the crazy growth is there's a lot of, um, uh, like in each section of the U S there's organizations that put on races yearly or like throughout the whole year. And a lot of those races are at 50 K, um, distance and, and they're what we like to call the, the dirt bag type, you know, trail races, um, where, uh, it has that kind of old school vibe where everybody's just out hanging out. There's like a campfire after the race and everybody's eating burritos and maybe drinking a beer or something like that. And, and they're just so much fun because you get the full community aspect of, of it. Um, whether your race goes well or bad, you know, everybody's there to celebrate something. And so, um, some of my favorite ones are actually out on the West coast in Oregon, uh, um, daybreak racing puts on just incredible events. They have, uh, I think probably one of my favorite trail races I've ever run is called the Tillamook burn, um, 50 K and, uh, it's goes to the Tillamook forest and, um, just beautiful buffed out trails, like through basically through an old burn rainforest. And, um, and yeah, that one's great. Uh, Gorge waterfalls, 50 K is really good. Um, Smith Rock Ascent. Uh, these are all races that don't have, you know, a ton of vertical game, but are really good kind of 
beginner 50Ks here in Colorado uh, and Utah. Mad Moose events puts on just an incredible job and they have, I don't know how many races uh, yearly. And uh, the same thing with Aero Vipa running as well. Um, so those are some some companies you could look up and, and find. They have a, a ton of different races um, all over, you know, the, the West Coast and stuff. And so um, I'm not as familiar with uh, some of the East Coast races. I, I'd like to get out there and do more, um, more of them. Sometimes just with travel and everything, it's a little difficult. But um, just about everywhere has has a, a pretty good like um, beginner friendly 50K. That, and I mean, I still even to this day, I, you know, I run professionally and I still like to go do at least two or three of them a year. So uh, that's what keeps my kind of spark going and keeps me excited is to being around, being around the community and that sort of thing and getting to hang out with everybody and, um, and enjoying a, a fun, fast race as well. It's, it's always, uh, something I, I enjoy. Yeah. Well, congratulations, by the way, you did win the Gorge Waterfalls 50 K earlier this year, didn't you? I did. Yeah, you did. Yes. So it's, it sounds like the things that we're looking for, for a more beginner friendly 50 K are, not as much elevation gain, number one. Two, probably a race that isn't at high altitude because most people aren't going to be able to either train up there or it just might be a little bit too stressful. And whether or not the race is super technical. Am I, am I missing anything big there? No, you know, I think, you know, with all those things, you can you can do things to train for it. But I think um, if you want just a good overall experience with your first one, um, yeah, I, I would, you know, goal number one is find one that, that, you see pictures of it and, uh, you read reviews and you get excited about, you know, not intimidated, but excited. And I think that's, that's the first thing. Um, and that's what like races like, um, Tillamook burn that, that was, um, and like Woodside ramble 50 K is another really good one out in California. It's, um, it's in, um, just outside of Palo Alto there. Um, just awesome trails all on like kind of pine needle carpet trail, not technical. There's, you know, there's some elevation gain, but just enough to kind of get your feet wet, but it's still really fun and fast. And again, community is really important. If you're, if you surround yourself with around people that are, um, you know, all like-minded and have the same goals and everything that that's going to make, uh, make your experience that much better. So, um, I'd, I'd suggest signing up with something with, you know, with a friend of yours or, um, or a group of people like all go out and do kind of a, maybe even a destination. If you all guys, you know, get in the car and drive five or six hours and stay the night somewhere and do a fun race like that, it's, it's going to be that much better of an experience. And then you can kind of build off of that and get more into the, uh, the crazier, bigger races. And again, the community is always there in all these races. Um, but I think, you know, if you can find something that's not going to just like totally demoralize you as far as the course goes and be a terrible experience right off the bat, then that, then that's key. Yeah. You know, in 2015, I tried a 50 K I had to drop out with a, with a knee problem I was having, but it was the dirty 30 50 K, which <laughs> was actually 31 miles, not, or it was 32 miles rather than 31. And I think it had close to 8,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. So it might've been a little too aggressive <laughs> for my first ultra attempt. Uh, so part of me asking this question was, was a little selfish. I, I kind of am a, still a little bit ultra curious, even though I'm, I'm just not training for that. So I was wondering what beginner oriented courses you think are great. Definitely. That's known as one of the, or, you know, I don't think the race is still going on anymore, but it was known as one of the hardest 50 K's in the U S. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, why didn't you tell me eight years ago? <laughs> Should have came. Should have came to me. Well, I was running behind Tim Olson through like 12 miles and, and I realized I should not be running behind Tim Olson through the 12 mile mark. That, that was a mistake. That's called a pacing error. 
uh, just jump in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I also think the idea of, of like doing it with friends and trying a course that is beautiful, that inspires you, I think is really important when you're going for an ultra marathon, because, you know, guys like us have to step away from like our track mindset. And I've talked about this before. Like I, I am just so like time and split oriented because of years and years of just time spent on a track. And, and I can get a little bit anxious with the walking breaks and, you know, having a mile be like 27 minutes because you're at 11,000 feet altitude going uphill up a crazy grade. And I've just really had to discover that like that mindset might have served me really well when I was ripping around a track at age 22. But when I'm in the mountains at this age, I need to almost throw that mindset in the garbage and start anew because it's totally different. Yes. Yeah, totally. And I think that's uh, oh, that's a very good point. And that's something I struggled with tremendously when I first got into ultras. Um, and uh, and then, you know, I used Strava as a great tool. I, I went and looked at some of the most famous trail runners at the time when I first got into it. And I was looking at what they were doing in training and, and racing. And I was seeing 18, 20 minute miles on, on some of their training runs and race splits. And I was like, okay, like, you know, these guys are making pretty good money and doing this professionally. And I ha I wasn't doing it professionally yet. And I was like, oh, you know, I need to not worry about how fast I'm running. And, and that goes to the point of me saying like, do, do your first one with, with a group of friends and just all run together. And what that usually looks like is if you're, let's say you're running with two or three other people, one of those, um, one of your friends is going to have a bad day and need to stop and use the bathroom or throw up or have a cramp and need to walk for a bit. And you all walk together, be there for that person. And just, you know, when you're doing that in your first one, you experience getting to go to the finish line all together and finish, you know, together, kind of going through all the ups and downs that your friends went through in that day too, is um, really important. And that's a good way to kind of get your mind out, um, like to forget about splits and, and trying to run super fast. And ultra running is more, um, you know, it's, a, it's about the experience and, and covering ground and it doesn't matter how you cover the ground, you know, you just get from point A to point B and, and accomplishing an ultra distance is, is, um, something, you know, I, that, that right there is a win. And so, um, yeah, when you, when you get the, the times and that sort of thing, you know, most of the races you have to qualify for, um, aren't about like, like boss, like in the marathon, if you're trying to get into Boston marathon, you have to run a certain time. In trail running, if you're trying to get into Western states, you just have to complete the race and you get a ticket and you get to put put the ticket in the lottery. So it's more about completing the race than it is, you know, running a certain time. And then, you know, once you um, if, if running for place or age group or something like that um, is enticing, that's something you can focus on after you, after you get the first few few races knocked out of the way and you can start focusing on that sort of stuff. But even at the end of the day, I, I can't tell you the last time I, I thought about time in a race. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. It's, it's almost like you shouldn't think of it as a race when you're first starting out. It's almost just like an expedition. It's a journey. It's an adventure. It's, you know, you're Lewis and Clark, you're exploring some, you know, wild outdoor environment. And that would probably put you in a much better mental state. Cause I know I was still freaking out about my average mile split during my 50 K attempt. And that's just not really a productive way of thinking about the race. I should have been enjoying myself out there. Uh, Matt, this has been so fun to, to talk some shop with you. And, and I loved hearing more about your career and 
uh, I, I do think it's just kind of wild that you went from a, a 359 miler and now you're doing 100 plus mile races. You can truly do it all, my friend. So congratulations on everything. Um, I, I know folks are going to want to follow up with your training. Uh, I, I definitely, I think I just started following you on Strava earlier today as I was doing some homework for this episode. Um, and I was like, wait a minute, look at all these runs. They only go back three days. Oh, Matt's running twice a day. Like I, I love seeing like the actual training after you talk about it. So that was really interesting. Uh, but where else can folks find you online if they want to follow along with your racing? Yeah. Um, oh gosh. Uh, Instagram, um, my handle is Matt Daniels four eight zero. Um, and that's my handle for basically every social media. So, um, Twitter or X or whatever. I don't know how much longer we'll be on that, but yeah, it, everything, um, pretty much all the social media, platforms on there. My handle is Matt Daniels 480. Um, always, uh, my email is always open too. And, and my email is Matt Daniels 480 at gmail.com. So if anybody ever has questions or wants to talk, talk training or anything, you know, feel free to, to email me. I, I like, um, I like to chat with everybody and, and really, uh, interact with, with the community. Uh, I love running. I've been doing it since I was 11. So, um, you know, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to it. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on and everything. Yeah, no problem. This was, this was really fun. And, and thanks for being generous with your email address. I know some folks are going to take you up on that. Um, do you have a race coming up? Um, Should, yeah. what, you mentioned something coming up in November, right? Yep. I just, I just did UTMB um, a few weeks ago. So kind of recovering from that. Um, actually was sick during that race, so it didn't go as planned. So I, I bounced back a little bit quicker. Um, and so I'm planning on doing a JFK 50 miler. Um, it's in uh, mid-November, and so we'll see how the training goes in the next few weeks, but that's the plan right now is to get the legs back and, and run that um, last race of the year before getting ready for big build for next year. <laughs> and we know how fun those 50-milers are. You yeah. never quite step off the gas, so have fun with the training, Matt. We're going to be cheering for you. I will. Thank you so much. And that's our show. Thank you for listening, and if you'd like to pay it forward, you can rate and review the show, share it with your running friends or club, or you can browse all of our training programs at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. By using their links and discount codes that I'll mention in just a minute, you help the Strength Running Podcast sustain itself so I can keep publishing episodes. First, Get yourself 15% off your first purchase at Prevenex.com with code JASON15. If you've been listening to this podcast this year, you've heard me talk about Joint Health Plus from Prevenex and how it's directly impacted the health of so many runners. Their CEO keeps forwarding me testimonials pretty much on a weekly basis, and it just works. So definitely keep all those testimonials coming. Let me share with you the latest feedback that David, their CEO, just sent me. Simon wrote in about Joint Health Plus and said, Great product, excellent results. I've used the Joint Health Plus and the multivitamin products for over 30 days, and I'm very impressed and delighted with the results. I've taken other multivitamins consistently for years. Prevenex is the first where I have noticed a difference in the way I feel. My sleep quality has improved, and my energy level is great. Using the joint supplement, I recover quickly from workouts and runs. I'm currently in a marathon training block and my joints are pain-free. So glad I gave Prevenex a try. Thank you, Simon, for that amazing testimonial. And that's exactly my experience with all of the Prevenex products. Typically with supplements, you try them and you have no idea if they're doing anything. But I actually feel better with more energy when I'm consistently taking my Prevenex products. 
And Joint Health Plus is so powerful because the main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. It's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. Now, you can get 15% off your first Prevenex purchase by using code JASON15 at checkout. Visit Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and I'll note one last thing. Prevenex offers a 30-day money-back guarantee where if you don't feel the benefits of their product, you get your money back, no questions asked. I don't think you'll use that, but it's there just in case. Go to Prevenex.com and use code JASON15 to save today. We're also supported by Impossible Sleep, a performance sleep drink to help high performers get the most out of their nightly rest. Impossible Sleep is a melatonin-free sleep drink mix that provides deep recovery while gently lulling you to sleep. Learn more about it at impossible.co slash Jason, and be sure to use code Jason20 to save 20% on your first subscription order. Plus, you'll get a free sleep kit as a welcome gift. Now, I love Impossible Sleep because it works, and it's very simple. It only has two ingredients, with magnesium to promote muscle recovery and deep sleep, and L-theanine for a subtle calming effect that helps you wind down at the end of the day. Now, if you're like me, you don't really have a problem pushing your limits with work, parenting, training, but you may struggle to fall asleep at the end of the day. I have trouble shutting it all down. Sometimes I just lay wide awake in bed thinking about my to-do list, my training goals, or just stressing out about normal life anxieties. But High-achieving runners have to prioritize their sleep. Sleep is like a performance-enhancing drug. It allows us to absorb our training, actually improve, and ultimately race faster. Impossible Sleep helps you optimize your bedtime routine so you can get as much deep recovery as possible. And when you consider that studies have shown that sleep loss can lead to glucose imbalances, increased anxiety, and your risk of getting sick or injured, it's a no-brainer to get as much high-quality sleep as you can. Now you can get 20% off your first subscription order and a free sleep kit at impossible.co slash Jason with code Jason20. That's 20% off your first subscription order at impossible.co slash Jason. And don't forget to use code Jason20 at checkout for that free sleep kit. All right, that's our show today, my friends. If you're getting value from the podcast First of all, thank you for listening. If you want to pay that forward, the best way to support us is to take advantage of our partner discounts I just mentioned, rate and review the podcast, or get a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com. Thank you, and we'll be in touch soon. 